Okay, and we're live. So welcome everyone back to our sutta study. Today is our third session of the Arya Paryesana Sutta. We're continuing on to talk about the Buddha's um, noble quest, having realized that he was seeking out that which was ignoble, he began on the quest for that which was noble. And that's where we started. So, again, the format, as always, is to um, chant the Bali Sutta and then read and discuss the English. So if you're watching this on YouTube and you just want to focus on the study part, you can skip ahead. Maybe some people like to chant it with us. If you're looking for when we do these live, it's at 7 p.m. every evening, Winnipeg time. Every weekday, anyway. Saturdays. We're we doing Saturdays? Uh, Fridays, we're not doing it normally. And Saturdays, we're doing the Monk Radio instead. Sundays, I'm not sure. Anyway. They'll all be on YouTube. I'm not even sure how many people are interested in this, but here we have it for those that are. So without further ado, let's get started. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Soko aham bhikkave kinkusalavavesi Anuttaram sandivarapadam pariye sammano magadesu anupubena Charikan charamano yena uruvela Sena nigamo tadavasaring Tatadasang brahmaniyang bhumi bhagang Pasadikan chavanasandang nadincha sandantim Setakang sukpatitam brahmaniyang Samanta chagocharagamang tasamayang bhikkave etadahosi Ramaniyo vatabho bhumimago pasadiko chavanasando Nadicha sandati setaka supatita ramaniya Samanta chagocharagamo Alang vadidang gulaputasa padanatikasa padanayati Soko ahang bhikkave tatteva nisidang Alamidang padanadayati Soko ahang bhikkave atanajati dhammo Samano jati dhamme adina vangviditva Ajatang anuttaram yoga kemang Nibbanam pariye samano ajatang anuttaram Yoga kemang nibbanam ajagamang Attanajaradammo samano jaradamme Adina vang viditva ajarang anuttarang Yoga kemang nibbanam pariye samano Ajarang anuttarang yoga kemang nibbanam ajagamang Attana bhyadidammo samano bhyadidamme adina vang viditva Abhyadin anuttarang yoga kemam nibbanam pariye samano 
Abhyading nanuttarang yogat ke manipanang ajagamang Atana maranadamo samano maranadamme adinavang vidhitva Amatang anuttarang yogat ke manipanang ajagamang Atana sukadamo samano sukadamme adinavang viditva Asukang anuttarang yogati mang nibanang adjagamang Atana sangkile sadamo samano sangkile sadamme adinavang viditva Asangkiliptang anuttarang yoga kemang nibanam pariyesamano. Asangkiliptang anuttarang yoga kemang nibanam adjagamang. Nyanancha paname dasanang udhapadi. Agupame vimutti ayamanti majati. Nati dani puna bhavoti Tasamayam bhikkave tadahosi Adhikato ko mayayang dhammo gambiro Dudaso duranavodo santo panito Ataka vichasvacharo nipuno panita vedaniyo Alaya Rama Gopanayam Pajahalaya Rata Alaya Samudita Alaya Rama Gopanayam Pajahalaya Rata Alaya Samudita Yadusa Sangidam Thanam Yadidam Ila pachayata patiricha samupado Irampikota nam dutta sanyadidam Sambhasankara samato sambhubhadi patinisango Tanhakayo virago nirodo nibhanam Ahanjevako panadamam desayam Parejamena ajaneyum somamasakinamato Samamasavihensati Apisumam pikave imanyanachariyagatayum Patibang subumbe asutabumbe Kichename adikatang halangitani pakasitum Ragado saparete hinayang lammo susambudo Patisota gaming nipurnang gamirang dudhasang anong Ragarata nadakan tilamo kandena avutati Itihame bikawe patisan chikato Apo sujakataya jiptam namati nodamadesanaya Atako bhikkave brahmuno sahampati samamajeta sajeto halivitakamanyaya Etadahosi nasativatabolokho vinasativatabolokho Yatrahinamatatagatasarahatosammasambuddhasa Aposukhatayachitangnamati nodamadesanayati Atakobhikave brahmasampati Seyatapinamavavapurisosaminjadangvapa Baham pasareya pasaritang wa baham samincheya eva meva Brahma loke antarahito mamapurato paturahosi Atako bhikkave brahma sahambeti ekang sangutara sanggang 
Kari <laughs> Bhavi Santi Dhamma Sahanyaroti Idamavajavikave Brahma Sahampati Idamvatva Ataparang Itaravocha Paturaho Simagade Supumve Dhammo Asuddho Samalehi Chintito Apabhuretamamatasangvaransunantodamangvimalenanubundangsilayatapambatamundanirtitoyatapipasejanatamsamantatu so kāvatīnīnāṁ janatamapesakso-pedasoko avekasu-jāti-jarābhi-bhūtāṁ-urtehi-vīra-vicatta-saṅgāma satta-vāha-anana-vicara-loke-desa-subhagavādhammaṅ-anyātāro-bhavisantīti Atako ahambikawe brahmuno cha ajje sanamiditva Sate sushakarunyatam paticha buddha chakuno lokangolo kesim Adesanko ahambikawe buddha chakuna lokang Volo kento sate aparachakai Maharajake Tikindriye Mulindriye Swakare Vakare Suinyapaye Duinyapaye Ape Kache Paraloka Vajabayada Slavine Viharante Ape Kache Naparaloka Vajabayada Slavine Viharante Sayatapinama upaliniyangva padaminyangva Pundarikinayangva apekachani upalaniva Padumaniva pundarikaniva udhake jatani udhake Sangvatani udhakarugatani Antao nimuga kosini ampe kachani Upalani vapadumani vapundari kani vapudake jatani udake samwadani udakarani katani Samodakam ditani ampe kachani Upalani wa padumani wa pundarikani wa Udake jatani udake samwadani udakangachukamatitani Anupalitani udake nahevame vakoahambikave Buddha Chakuna Lokam Volokinto Adhasam Sateya Parajake Maharajake Tikindriye Mulindriye Swakare Vakare Suvinyapaye Duvinyapaye Apekache Paraloka Vajapaya Dasavine Viharante Apekachena paraloka vajabayada savine viharante Atakvaham vikave brahmanam sampatingataya pachabhasim 
Andasako <laughs> Sambanjaho Ahani araha loke ahang satanutarum. Eko misama sambutos itibutos minimbuto. Damajakang pavarte tungachamikasinampuram. Andibutas ming lokas ming Yatako tuang nauso patijana siyara siyanan tajinoti Majisave tuinahonti ye pata asavakayam Sitame pakajinoti Evangute bikawe upakohaji Upeya pauso tiwatwa si sango kambetwa umagang yahitwa pakami. Stop there. You want some water, Ponte? Sure. Okay, so in this session we will be getting from the beginning of the Buddha's search for enlightenment all the way through to his enlightenment and the encounter, the first encounter and actually the first teaching that he gives. The first teaching that he gives isn't actually to the five ascetics the first teaching, if you can call it that, is to uh, Upaka. Upaka, this uh, naked ascetic, I think, or wanderer of some sort. Anyway, we'll get to that. Start off with. Uh, so we just finished talking about uh, how he he found two teachers to. Start him off on the holy life, <coughs> and <coughs> quite far in 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 the worldly or the mundane holy life, but found that it didn't lead to the super mundane, didn't lead to that which was outside of samsara. So he went on, and then we come to our passage for today. Still in search, speakers of what is wholesome, seeking the supreme state of sublime peace, I wandered by stages through the Magadhan country. Until eventually I arrived at Uruvela, 
and Sena Nigama. Sena Nigama. There I saw an agreeable piece of ground, a delightful grove with a clear flowing river with pleasant smooth banks, and nearby a village for alms resort. I considered this is an agreeable piece of ground. This is a delightful grove with a clear flowing river with a pleasant smooth banks, and nearby a village for alms resort. This will I serve for the striving of a clansman, intent on striving. This will serve for the striving. And I sat down there thinking, this will serve for striving. So the place he's describing here is uh, what we call today Bodhgaya. And suffice to say it's not the uh, delightful grove with clear flowing river anymore. It's still a delightful place, but uh, more as a... Well, it's still quite a delightful place, but it's a little bit more active these days. Well, it's a lot more active, full of activity. You can still go on alms round there, on alms there. You don't get much. The two times I've gone, um, first time I got a steam bun and a flower, a lotus, and the second time all I got was a lotus. Sounds tasty. Not so tasty. <laughs> Didn't try. <laughs> Went and gave it to the Buddha, I think. Anyway, it's a wonderful place to go on alms round. It's a magical place. Bodhgai is a magical place, but... Um, this is a description of it before it became Bodhgaya, Buddhagaya as we call it. And it's um, it's near Rajagaha, well relatively speaking it's just not that near, but it's, uh, once it's near, it's near Gaya which is the, the town. The reason why it's called Buddhagaya is because it's near Gaya and uh, as he heads for, he, he's going to head back to uh, Baranasi. He's going to meet someone halfway to Gaya, on the road between Bodhgaya and and Gaya. So it's near Gaya, and north of Gaya is then there's Patna and past Patna. I can't remember how it goes in Patna, and then Rajagaha. I can't remember. Where's Patna? Something like that. It's been a while. Uh, it's in Bihar. Anyway, background stuff, not, not so important. point is that he found an agreeable place to begin his quest. And um, it's not clear whether this is before or after the... If this, this would probably be after he left the five, the five ascetics. So what he's not, what's missing in here between the, these two paragraphs should be a description of his six years of torturing himself with these with these other uh, five ascetics and eventually giving it up. So he's just um, what do you call it? He's skipping over that and uh, and going getting right cutting right to the chase of finding the the path, finding the noble path. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess the point is that all of um, that this is a, a condensation of the whole thing where he actually spent six years trying to find the path and and then left these naked ascetic these other ascetics and went on his own to find the path and finally found the path and found nibbana. So this skips ahead and just talks about his enlightenment. <coughs> then bhikkhus, being myself subject to birth. Having understood the danger and what is subject to birth, seeking the unborn su supreme security from bondage, Ibana, I attain the unborn supreme security from bondage, Ibana. Being myself subject to aging, having understood the danger and what is subject to aging, seeking the unaging supreme security from bondage, Ibana, I attain the unaging supreme security from bondage, Ibana. Being myself subject to sickness, to death, to sorrow, to defilement, I attained. Defilement. Having understood the danger. Yeah. Being myself subject to defilement. Having understood the danger and what is subject to defilement, seeking the undefiled supreme security from bondage, nibbana, I attained the undefiled supreme security from bondage, nibbana. The knowledge and vision arose in me. 
My deliverance is unshakable. This is my last birth. Now there is no renewal of being. Right. A pretty standard. Um, we've we've uh, it's repeating these uh, five aspects that define whether a search is noble. Five, six, no, six aspects of what makes a search noble or ignoble. Is it? Are you seeking out something that is subject to birth? Are you seeking seeking something that is subject to aging, subject to sickness, subject to death, subject to sorrow, subject to defilement? These are the six. Uh, characteristics of a search that is ignoble. So here he, um, being subject to these things himself, he sought out that which was free, free from these things, and that is nibbana. Everything else, as we as we saw earlier, is subject to these six things. Um, not not necessarily all of them. For example, some certain things are not subject to sickness, but uh, or sorrow. Certain things don't get sad, but uh, don't have to do necessarily with sadness. But they all have to do with everything. Is everything else is born and ages and that and passes away, whether it be animate or inanimate, except for nibbana. So I considered. This Dhamma that I have attained is profound, hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced by the wise. But this generation delights in attachment, takes delight in attachment, rejoices in attachment. It is hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely specific condition, conditionality, dependent origination. And it is hard to see this truth, namely the stilling of all formations, the relinquishing of all acquisitions, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. If I were to teach this, the Dhamma, others would not understand me, and that would be wearying and troublesome for me. Thereupon there came to me spontaneously these stanzas never heard before. And enough with teaching the Dhamma that even I found hard to reach for it will never be perceived by those who live in lust and hate. Those died in lust, wrapped in darkness, will never discern this abstruse, abstruse dhamma, which goes against the worldly stream, subtle, deep, and difficult to see. Considering thus, my mind inclined to inaction rather than teaching the dhamma. Right. So this is a, a important paragraph that is not often brought up, because it kind of puts a damper on the whole idea of the of of uh, compassion and uh, Buddhism being all about uh, spreading the Dhamma and so on we want to have this idea that that uh, it's important to proselytize to spread the teaching and so on but uh, and we have this idea of the Buddha as someone who spent all this time four uncountable eons just to become a fully enlightened Buddha, just for the purpose of teaching other beings. Right? We have this. This is apparently what he spent all his time doing. He spent four uncountable eons perfecting his wisdom. And then as soon as he becomes enlightened, this is the... It's, uh, it's, it's ironic, I guess you would say, that as soon as he becomes enlightened, the first thing that occurs to him after he spent 49 days uh, dwelling in enlightenment is that uh, probably uh, probably not worth it to go out and actually teach anyone so he thinks, the first thing he thinks of is better not to teach anybody and he makes some profound uh, profound statements here the, the, the point being that any idea of teaching had, would have to come from some sort of impetus why would he teach? What would be the purpose of teaching? Why would someone without attachments decide to teach just spontaneously? The curious thing is that the spontaneous uh, inclination of one who is enlightened is to not teach, is to not share. They need a reason to do it. Here he, he must come up with some past thoughts in his mind uh, say, saying, hey, didn't I, 
didn't I make a vow that I would teach people? It didn't wasn't my intention to teach people. And so when that thought comes up, he thinks about it. And uh, he makes some profound criticism of the world, which is obviously far more true now. Yeah, start with this. Far more true even now than it was 2,500 years ago. So the Dhamma that he has attained is profound, hard to see and hard to understand. For Just to see non-self, for example, you see the three characteristics, basically. And to see uh, dependent origination, right? And to see the stilling of... Well, let's start with dependent origination is really the key because that's what he realized when he became enlightened. The dhamma, the dhamma that what he's talking about here is really dependent origination, that um, things arise based on a cause and, and our actions have consequences and um, that our craving leads to clinging, which leads to, it leads directly to suffering without any, any doubt. So the truth would be the Four Noble Truths, which is basically dependent origination. Because the this generation delights in attachment, rejoices in attachment. So can you imagine, he is considering in his mind, thinking about people, when he's just become so free of, of defilement, when he thinks of the people in the world, can you imagine what, what, what it feels like, thinking of the world engaging in sensual pleasure, engaging in mindless pursuits, hateful pursuits, uh, treachery and, and war and frivolity and so on. Did you imagine what it would be like thinking, uh, I'm, I'm going to go out and teach these people? And I thought, no way. These people won't listen to me. Most people won't. Most people wouldn't, even in the Buddhist time. As a result, it's hard to see Nibbana. As a result, these people are very far from Nibbana, unable to ever realize the, or able to ever attain to the cessation of, of formations. So if you were to teach, it would be wearying and troublesome. Not that he would, not that he minds. The point, the important point to notice here is he's not complaining. He just has no inclination to do it. He doesn't see any reason or any point. And the, the kicker here is that because it's because, as we're going to learn in the next paragraph, because no one's asked him to. All it takes for a Buddha to teach is for someone to ask them. That's the answer to what would it take? Why would they teach? Someone asked them to teach. Someone inclined them because then they'd have to ask themselves, why? Why should I? Uh, deny this person their request, and then you need a reason for that as well. So they kind of like the path of least resistance in a way, but more like doing what is right at that moment. When someone invites an arahant or enlightened being to teach, generally they teach. The Buddhas do anyway. Often for arahants, <coughs> they will say. Uh, if, if, the, if it's, but, but the curious thing is that he's only going to talk about teaching those who are ready to hear it. So often, what arahants will do is say, mm, "I don't think you're of the, I don't think you'd be able to hear what I have to teach. Uh, it would only weary me." They, they bring up this excuse. An arahant would say, "It would be weary, wearying and troublesome for me if I were to teach you because you haven't a clue." And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that works to to sober them up and. Uh, allow them to see the severity of the or the seriousness of the Dhamma and become amenable and, and malleable to receive the teachings. But often it's just a case of ignoring and, and not teaching. So it's it's not that we expect to bring Buddhism to everyone. In fact it's uh, admitted that it's probably not possible, that most people are too mired in sensuality to ever hope to understand it. We take after the Buddha's example to find those people who are aparajakajatika. And so he has these stanzas that were never heard before and and, and probably somewhat you know, shocking really. It, it, it shocks the Brahmas 
that he would actually utter these things, and it's it's a novel idea. To the Bodhisattva, it would seem to have been a novel idea, where he had spent so much time thinking about teaching, about helping people, and now he, it's shock, it's shocking that he's actually saying. Uh, enough with teaching the Dhamma. Enough is a Pali way of saying, enough, like, uh, saying no, along or forget about it, kind of thing. Along. Enough of that. And so his mind inclined to act in action. So let's see what the commentary says. The commentary says that why, when the Bodhisattva had long ago made an aspiration to reach Buddhahood in order to liberate others, his mind now inclined towards inaction. The reason is that only now, after reaching enlightenment, did he become fully cognizant of the strength of defilements of people's mind, of the profundity of the Dhamma. Also, he wanted Brahma to entreat him to teach so that beings who venerated Brahma would recognize the precious value of the Dhamma and desire to listen to it. And that's the other thing is this helping people to see how precious it is, helping them, people to realize how difficult it is to understand. And so he's also shocking Brahma here and uh, helping Brahma to see how important this is. How, how it's not, you can't take, can't take the teachings for granted. So let's see what Brahma has to say. Then because the Brahma <coughs> Sahampati knew with his mind the thought in my mind, and he considered, the world will be lost, the world will perish, since the mind of the Tathagata, accomplished and fully enlightened, inclines to inaction rather than to teaching the Dhamma. Then, just as quickly as a strong man might extend his flexed arm, or flex his extended arm, the Brahma Sahampati vanished in the Brahma world and appeared before me. He arranged his upper robe on one shoulder, and extending his hands in reverential salutation towards me, said, Venerable Sir, let the Blessed One teach the Dhamma. Let the Sublime One teach the Dhamma. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are wasting through not hearing the Dhamma. There will be those who understand the Dhamma. The Brahma Sahampati spoke thus, and then he said further, <coughs> And Magadha, there have appeared till now impure teachings devised by those still stained. Open the doors to the deathless, let them hear the Dhamma that the Stainless One has found. Just as one who stands on a mountain peak can see below the people all around, so a wise sage, all-seeing sage, ascend the palace of the Dhamma. Let the sorrowless one survey this human breed, engulfed in sorrow, overcome by birth and old age. Arise, victorious hero, caravan leader, debtless one, and wanderer in the world. Let the Blessed One teach the Dhamma. There will be those who will understand. So this is um, this is the reason why, uh, and mark this, it's uh, ex generally accepted behavior to for monks to only teach when asked to teach. So uh, it's expected of lay people that they should invite the monks to teach. And in Thailand, they actually make a formal request when the monk gives when a monk is going to give a dhamma talk. There's a formal request, and they say they actually repeat this. Where is it? Mm, no, it doesn't say it. It isn't like this, but anyway, it's. Uh, Brahma Jaloka Dipati Sahampati, so the the ruler of the world, Brahma Sahampati, Katanjali Andivarang Ayachata Dese to Dhammang, right? Anukampajatikang, no? Santida Sata Aparajaka Jatika Dese to Dhammang Anukampi Mangpajang. So there are those beings who are santid satta aparajaka jatika. There are those beings who are santida in in the Pali that they say in Thailand. Santida. There are here these being those beings who are aparajaka jatika, which means appa means little, raja, rajaka, uh, 
uh, Raja is uh, dust, and I'm guessing Rajaka. Rajaka would be dust in their eyes. Ika would be eye. Rajaka means dust in their eyes. Aparaja means little dust in their eyes. Jatika means of the sort. They are of the sort who have little. They are those sort of be beings who have little dust in their eyes. They will perish. They will lose the opportunity. They will go to waste if they don't hear the Dhamma. He says, so please teach the Dhamma. So in, in Thailand, that, that's, that is the precursor to every Dhamma talk. And it's just a tradition that we, taking after the Blessed One, we teach when invited to teach. Unlike me, I just go on the internet and push it on people. Okay, so um, I don't think there's much to say there. No, he just makes an impassioned request. It's quite poetic, and this is also common that um, they they will say something and then they will uh, emphasize it by by putting it into verse. Now, I don't know whether this is just meant to be a summarization of what they actually said or whether they were actually able to spontaneously compose verses. I'm guessing, I wouldn't, wouldn't put it past the, the Buddha anyway, or Brahma, of course, Brahma, the Buddha, of course, or even Brahma, to be able to make up such verses. It seems that uh, it was a common capability. You know, those people nowadays who are able to rap on demand, that sort of thing. Freestyle. Freestyle. And their their minds were probably a lot less polluted and a lot less clear, a lot clearer in those days. It comes with practice. It comes with practice, right? And Brahmins would be very good at it, of course, because they practiced it. And those who had education. Anyway, go ahead. Then I listened to the Brahmas pleading, and out of compassion for beings, I surveyed the world with the eye of a Buddha. <coughs> Surveying the world with the eye of a Buddha, I saw beings with little dust in their eyes, and with much dust in their eyes with keen faculties and with dull faculties, with good qualities and with bad qualities, easy to teach and hard to teach, and some who dwelt seeing fear and blame in the other world. Just as in a pond of blue or red or white lotuses, some lotuses that are born and grow in the water thrive immersed in the water without rising out of it, and some other lotuses that are born and grow in the water rest on the water surface, and some other lotuses that are born and grow in the water rise out of the water and stand clear unwedded by it, so too, surveying the world with the eye of a Buddha, I saw beings with little dust in their eyes and with much dust in their eyes, with keen faculties and with dull faculties, with good qualities and with bad qualities, easy to teach and hard to teach, as some who dwelt seeing fear and blame in the other world. Then I replied to the Brahma Sahampati in stanzas. Go ahead. Open for them are the doors to the deathless. Let those with ears now show their faith. Thinking it would be troublesome, O Brahma, I did not speak the Dhamma, subtle and sublime. Then the Brahma Sahampati thought, The Blessed One has consented to my request that he teach the Dhamma, and after paying homage to me, keeping me on the right, he thereupon departed at once. Okay, this paragraph here, this big one, is uh, somewhat important. First, um... Yeah, I think that the, the people people are always wondering which category they fit in here. Uh, sorry, first there was one thing I wanted to check. It seems that this translation is missing something. Yeah, look at this. Apekache paraloka vajja bayadasavine viharante. Apekache na paraloka vajja bayadasavine viharante. Now, I don't know whether his text is just missing it that he's translating from, but he's missing something here. So he says, and some who dwell, it, it makes this makes no sense. Yeah. And some who dwell seeing fear and blame in the other world, it's missing. And some who don't dwell, see, some who don't, didn't dwell seeing fear and blame in the other world, it's missing a piece of the poly there. Yeah, notice that. Yeah, should be some who dwell seeing fear and blame in the other world and some who do not. Some who dwelt seeing fear and blame in the other world, and some who did not dwell seeing fear and blame in the other world. So the text here is, is incomplete. 
anyway, so um, the um, for mo most of us are in a bad are in a bad way. We fall into the third category. Most of us uh, of these four lotuses, and so I'll talk about lotuses in a second. Um, we're not the sort of people that the Buddha would have had in mind when he decided to teach. He was actually thinking of those people who were really just ready to teach and he was going to go and teach them first. He, of course he understood that people like us would also benefit, but it wasn't enough of an impetus to teach. We're, we're, we're not, we shouldn't ever pride ourselves and think most of us are probably not in that category of, of aparajika jadika. Most of us have lots of dust in our eyes. But we, we, we may have uh, enough clarity of mind to be able to put the teaching into practice through intensive practice. It's very rare to find someone who is able to easily understand the Dhamma in the sense of having heard the Buddha teach or having heard someone teach the Dhamma becomes enlightened then and there. Even for the Buddha it wasn't it wasn't most people who were able to most people were not able to realize the Dhamma as soon as he taught and they would have to be coddled and cajoled they would have to be prodded and pushed towards the towards enlightenment. It would yeah. take a lot of work. And quite a targeted audience. <laughs> targeted audience. But the key there is that the people that he taught, the people that he focused on, were then able to spread the Dhamma to others. It's it's uh, just that we, so if you're if you're wondering, hmm, am I good enough for the Buddha? Well probably not, but that's not really important. You know the the Buddha's talking here about uh, Seeing that that there were actually some people who could who he could count upon to spread his teaching and to 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 receive his teaching easily and to be able to cherish it and be able to put it into practice easily and so we get an account in the Vinaya and in the story of the Buddha of how he found people who were able to easily become enlightened and then easily spread the teaching uh, and and um, really allow for a strong and um, <coughs> Uh, collected uh, sasana or religion, religious group. So, um, in fact, he, he compares beings to four types of lotus, right? And these are the four types of lotus. That there are three. Right, he only talks about three, but there is a fourth one. Why does, he, why does he only talk about three here? Is he missing something in the Pali? Let me see. Some lotus that are born in water are immersed in the water without rising out of it. Some lotus that are born and grow in the water rest on the water surface. Some lotuses that are born and grow in the water and rise out of the water instead. It's actually not the one I was looking for. The one with four is um, some, some lotuses never grow out of the water. They rot under the water. And some uh, gr gr are, are able to grow. Some are still underwater but are growing up and will eventually have the potential to reach the surface. Some are, are level even with the water but are able to be, to are just ready to bloom whenever when the sun comes out or ready to bloom maybe tomorrow or that kind of thing. And then some are already out of the water and just waiting for the sun to come up to bloom. So those four, I'm not sure if that's exactly what he's talking about here, but those four would be the four types of, of beings in the world. The ones who are, the, the lotus that is just ready to bloom are those beings who just have to hear a statement of the Dhamma, like uh, the Four Noble Truths, for example. Just, just uh, relating what are the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the path of the cessation of suffering. Uh, just hearing that is enough for them to become enlightened. The second type that are at level with the water, but if they grow up, maybe tomorrow they will become enlightened, are those beings who, if they hear a detailed explanation of the Dhamma, they could become enlightened. The third type that are under the water but are growing up and can become and become can bloom on a, on a future day are those beings who, if they are taught the Dhamma, explained, given explanations of the Dhamma, and then sent off to practice the Dhamma, 
you know, over time they can become enlightened on their own. And the fourth type of being uh, are those being, just like the lotus that never grows up, are those beings that have no chance of becoming enlightened. No matter how long they listen to the Buddha or stick around the Buddha, they'll just never become enlightened because they don't try. They don't work. They don't have the potential. They don't seize their potential as human beings. Uh, sometimes they don't even have the potential because they're mired in unwholesomeness or whatever. And so have no opportunity. So the four types of lotuses, here he only talks about three. But the same idea. M meaning that uh, not everyone is, is uh, hopeless, is what he saw. Hmm, there are those people. Open for them are the doors to the left. Those with ears now show their faith. Thinking it would be troublesome, I did not speak the Dhamma settlements of that. And then Sampati congratulates himself on being able to convince the Dhamma, convince the Buddha, and the Buddha tries starts to consider who he should teach. I considered thus. To whom should I first teach the Dhamma? Who will understand this Dhamma quickly? Then it, it then occurred to me. Alara Kalama is wise, intelligent, discerning. He has long had little dust in his eyes. Suppose I taught the Dhamma first to Alara Kalama. <clears throat> he will understand it quickly. Then deities approached me and said, Venerable Sir, Alara Kalama died seven days ago. And the knowledge and vision arose in me. Alara Kalama died seven days ago. I thought Alara Kalama's loss is a great one. If he had heard this Dhamma, he would have understood it quickly. And the same goes for Uddhakadama Buddha, except he died last night. Right. So Kalama died seven days ago. Uddhakadama Buddha died last night. Uh, and they both went to the Brahma realms, of course, having practiced, his, practiced their own teaching. Uh, Alara Kalama went to the realm of nothingness. And Uddhakadama Buddha apparently was able to put put into practice the teachings of Rama, Rama and enter into the realm of uh, neither perception nor non-perception. So it is the, the high Brahma realms, these God realms, where they have no form. Because they have no form, they have no ability to understand impermanence and they have no ability to practice the Dhamma. Their minds are too uh, subtle, too sublime, and they're in too much of a state of peace and tranquility be able to understand the nature, to be able to comprehend the nature of the universe. Interestingly enough, the greatness of their attainments prevents them from realizing the truth. I consider thus, to whom should I first teach the Dhamma, who will understand this Dhamma quickly? Then it occurred to me, the bhikkhus of the group of five who attended upon me while I was engaged in my striving were very helpful. Suppose I taught the Dhamma first to them. Then I thought, where are the bhikkhus of the group of five now living? And with the divine eye, which is purified and surpasses the human, I saw that they were living at Benares in the deer park at Isipatana. Right, these are the five monks who attended on the Buddha. Most people know who these are, no? And they lost faith in him and they went to Isipatana. So Isipatana is actually, I can't remember how far it is, it's like 120 kilometers or something. It's quite far from from where the Buddha was staying in Bodhgaya. It's another province. The Buddha was in, the Buddha was in Bihar, and uh, Isipatana is near Varanasi, or Benares, as they call it, in Uttar Pradesh. And so if you go there, you have to drive many hours to get from Bodhgaya to Isipatana. Fortunately, now there's a nice Thai monastery that you can stay in. There's a hotel. I'm assuming it's still there. And uh, it's all... It's a nicely manicured lawn in front of the place where the Buddha first taught and lots of ruins and a nice museum as well. The museum is a lot of fun to go in. Very interesting, very nice. Uh, Sarnad is a very peaceful place. Nice place to live, I think. There's also a Sri Lankan monastery. We went in there to have chai once, but I didn't spend too much time running around. Then, <clears throat> then bhikkhus, when I had stayed at Uruvela, Uruvela, as long as I chose, I set out to wander by stages to Benares. Then Benares. Varanasi. It's actually something in Varanasi. Varanasi. Between Gaya and the place of enlightenment, 
the Ajiwaka Upasaka saw me on the road and said, Friend, your faculties are clear. The color of your skin is pure and bright. Under whom have you gone forth, friend? Who is your teacher? Whose Dhamma do you profess? I replied to Ajiwaka Upaka in stanzas. Okay, wait. I just want to talk about Upaka. Upaka, apparently, if I remember correctly, he comes back later. He's somewhere else in the in the Pitaka, and he comes back and becomes enlightened. So the Buddha foresaw. Apparently, the um, the story goes, I think, in the commentary, is that the Buddha could have easily flown to uh, to Varanasi, as all the other Buddhas had done. He could have sat in the air and just floated all the way there. But he knew he was going to meet Upaka, so he walked there instead. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the stories. But the point is, he, he taught Upaka here, and he doesn't have a good result, as we're going to see, but he taught him knowing that later on he would... Very good become... illustration of what he said before. Some people won't understand him at first. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's perfect. It's very endearing. <laughs> I am one who has transcended all, a knower of all, unsullied among all things, renouncing all, by craving ceasing freed. Having known this all for myself, to whom should I point as a teacher? As teacher. I have no teacher, and one like me exists nowhere in all the world, because all its gods, because I have no person for with all its gods, because I have no person for my counterpart. I am the accomplished one in the world. I am the teacher supreme. I alone am a fully enlightened one whose fires are quenched and extinguished. And I go now to the city of Kasi to set in motion the wheel of Dhamma, and a world that has become blind, I go to beat the drum of the deathless. By your claims, friend, you ought to be the universal victor. The victors are those like me who have won to destruction of taints. I have vanquished all evil states. Therefore, Upaka, I am a victor. Okay, first of all, Kasi is another name for Varanasi. Kasi is the, I don't know, the old name, or the familiar name. Varanasi, Kasi, the same, same thing. That's about it. This is a important, considered an important teaching. He asks him, "Who are you? Under whom? Who have you gone forth? Who is your teacher?" What Dhamma says, "Bunny, I don't have a teacher. I am the teacher supreme." So he gives him this very bold statement, knowing that he has, to, knowing that because Upaka is a sort of a arrogant sort of guy who who isn't even interested and in, is only interested in. Uh, boasting and, and pushing himself on other people. Uh, pushing his, he wants to peddle his own teaching. Uh, but somehow he's he's impressed by the Buddha by the Buddha's color. Right? And uh, he's uh, impressed that he could actually the Buddha could actually be I think the other thing is that the Buddha's young and so he doesn't think that the Buddha could possibly be a teacher in his own right. The Buddha was only thirty five years. And he's going to get that a lot through his career. So you've seen elsewhere, people come up to him and and say, you know, you're young, shouldn't you be paying respect to older people and so on. But uh, the Buddha has, the Buddha gives these this boast to kind of uh, shock Upaka, and Upaka uh, says snidely that you must then be a jina. Jina, of course, is the giant word for an enlightened being. So, uh, is right? Ananta Jina. Perhaps this is an Ajivagam. But Jina is, uh, yeah, Jina is the word for a giant. Jaina, Jaina, the word Jaina comes from Jina. Jina means to, to means a victor, and the Jaina is one who is victorious. And so the Buddha uses a play on words. He said, yes, actually, I am a victor because I have won the destruction of the taints. I have vanquished all evil states. Therefore, I am indeed a, a, a victor. And I think this is the last paragraph here. When this was said, the Ajiwaka Upaka said, may it be so, friend. Shaking his head, he took a bypath and departed. Right, here's, and here's the story. According to the commentary, Upaka thereafter fell in love with a hunter's daughter and married her. When his marriage turned out to be a happy one, he returned to the Buddha, entered the Sangha, and became a non-returner. He was reborn in the Aviha heaven, where he attained Arahantship. So, happy ending. So, um, yeah, this is in this in this session we learned about 
the uh, an abbreviated version of the, the events pertaining to the Buddha's enlightenment and his first encounter post-enlightenment, the Buddha's first teaching. The, uh, it's in the inspiration we take away what we take away from tonight's session is the inspiration of the Buddha and what he had to face and what he attained and how profound it was that we should take the Dhamma seriously because it's not something that has come by easily after all that time the Buddha was not even going to teach us he didn't think it worth his time and uh, allows us to see how lucky we are that uh, here we are 2500 years later and we have the echoes of the Buddha's teaching around us, surrounding us. So it's not, not something we should take for granted. Never take good things for granted, I guess is the lesson. Anyway, that's our sutta study for tonight. Uh, tune in tomorrow when we, maybe not tomorrow, we might be doing Dhammapada tomorrow, but tune in next time when we study the final section of the Arya Brayesana Sutta. That's all. Have a good night.